Amen. God has been faithful, hasn't he? No matter what we face in life, he is faithful to us today. If you're in Bible study, you should be. If you weren't, uh, this morning we talked about not being under those circumstances, living in contentment with what uh, God has given us in our lives. He is faithful to us in every aspect. It's great to see you today. If you want to take your Bibles, I'd encourage you to, to turn to John 17. Uh, we're going to take just a minute there uh, this morning and, and look at a couple of things as we talk about the, the, the glory of God, the purpose of God for our lives, uh, how that we as a church have organized ourselves around that. We've been talking about that for a few weeks now and just reminding ourselves of why we're here. You know, in times like these, it's probably fair to to stop and just ask yourself, why are we here? I mean, certainly on the planet, but why am I here at church today? There are so many things that battle against me. There's so many things that would tell me I shouldn't be. There's so many things that would push back. Why, why should I do that? Well, ultimately, uh, it's because life is about the glory of God. It's not about me. It's not about my well-being. It's not about my, my health or my wealth or, or whatever. Uh, it's about God and his glory. And, and we've talked about that over the last few weeks. And I want you to see in John 17, Jesus Christ is about to be crucified. And, and he knows that's coming. And, and he's led these disciples. And he comes to John 17 and, and he prays this prayer. And it's recorded for us in the scriptures uh, which is an awesome thing. And, and he says, I want you to notice in verse number 4 of John 17, uh, notice what Jesus says. He's talking to his Father, and as he's talking to his Father, he says, I have glorified thee on the earth. Jesus says, I've glorified you, Father. During the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, during that time that he's here, 33 years, about three years of that actually involved in ministry, he, he, he prays back to the Father, and he can say to the Father, in my life, I have glorified you. And, and you know, sometimes we, we treat that as if, as if it's a little nebulous, it's a little hard to grasp, it's a little hard to get a hold of. I mean, after all, how do you measure glory to God? I mean, there's measurables in church, and a lot of times we get caught up in the measurables. You know, we, we get caught up counting nickels and noses, and, and we count that as success. Uh, but there's more important things. There's not, not that those aren't important, but there's more important things. The, the, the glory of God being obviously one of those. And, and how do we measure that? Well, we, we said a few weeks ago, Jesus said in John 15, Herein is my Father glorified. So he's about to tell us something that's monumental. Herein is my Father glorified. How do we glorify God? And Jesus says we do it by bearing much fruit. By bearing much fruit. And, and he's not talking about, you know, having a good orchard where we grow some apples and, and pears and, and such things. Uh, he, he's speaking spiritually and that we would bear spiritual fruit. He's not talking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, goodness, long-suffering, meekness, temperance. All those nine things that are the fruit of the Spirit, that's, what the, that's the fruit the Spirit bears. But he's talking about us bearing fruit. He's talking about us reproducing the spiritual life that is within us. That, he says if we, if we bear much fruit, we glorify God. And, and so it's, and when we add the much component to it, it's not just that, that we bear fruit, but that our fruit bears fruit. And so that there be this, this exponential growth uh, in the, the kingdom of God, not necessarily our church or, or, or this little world of ours, but, but in the kingdom of God, that it be broader than that and, and that we see many people come to faith in Christ. 
Now, Jesus is praying here in John 17, and, and again, he, he, he begins to give some insight into this life lived to glorify God. Again, look at verse 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. There's not a period there, but there's a colon. So now he's going to tell us a little bit more about that. How, how exactly, Jesus, did you glorify the Father on the earth? I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Oh. That's how Jesus glorified the Father. Again, I think sometimes we, we treat it as if it's, it's a nebulous concept, that it's some, not something I can tangibly lay my hands on. But Jesus is making it very tangible. He says, the, the way that I did that was I, I finished the work that you gave me to do. And, and again, I, I, I know a lot of times we, 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 like, to, we like to operate in shades of gray. Uh, and, and so... Sometimes we would say, well, the, the work of the Lord, okay, he, he finished the work that, that, that the Father gave him to do. Well, well, what exactly is that? Well, just real quickly, and, and because we could get overwhelmed with, with a book of this size, we might say, well, it's, it's a little hard, you know, to, to figure out exactly what all of that is. I want you just to, if you have one of these that's physical, like that you're holding in your hand, you know, that's really cool, uh, uh, you can... You can you know, put one finger in there at John 17, okay? You got that? And then go back over to John chapter 4. Just a few pages back, John chapter 4. And there's a story in John chapter 4, maybe you remember it. It's the story where Jesus must needs go through Samaria. Remember that? If you've ever been to the Middle East, you've been to Israel, you know that, that the direct route from where he was in Galilee down to Jerusalem would be through Samaria, but, but a Jew wouldn't take that route because they didn't like Samaritans. They, they just disdained them. And so they would, they would actually go out to the coast and come all the way around and come down the coastal highway to go to Jerusalem to avoid Samaria. But Jesus pronounces to his disciples, I must needs go through Samaria. And so he, they do that. They're on their way there. And they come to this well. And there's this woman at this well. And, and Jesus engages her in conversation while the disciples have gone into the city of Sychar to get some food. And so Jesus speaks with her, and, and if you read the story, we don't have time today to do that, but what you would find is that Jesus reveals to her who she is, right? He helps her understand, uh, basically, that she's a sinner, separated from God, and that he's God. And when she realizes that, she says, oh my, I've met the Messiah, I've met God incarnate in flesh, Emmanuel, and, and I have got to not only receive him for myself, but I've got to go back into this city where she was an obvious outcast, and, and again, the story would reveal that, and tell everyone that I know that I've met the Messiah. And so as she's turning and heading back towards Sychar, the disciples are showing back up, Right? And they've gone in to get some food, and they bring the food to Jesus, and they, they, they inquire, you know, to Jesus, wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to, to have some of this food? we got some good stuff. Jesus, aren't you hungry? And, uh, and Jesus says, you know, no, I'm, I'm not really interested in what you've brought from town. And they're confused by that. They, well, you, 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 you know, it's like your wife cooks dinner, you know, and you say, I'm not really hungry. She's, she's happy about that, right? No, well, eat it anyway, buddy. <laughs> and smile while you do it. 
Jesus, they're confused, and they say, did, did, somebody, did somebody else give him something to eat? And, and Jesus says no. In verse 34, he, he answers, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So Jesus says, the thing that sustains me, the substance, the thing that drives my life, what I, what I want, what I want more than physical food is to do the Father's will and to finish his work. And so what, what we could discern from that, if you still have your finger in John 17, and you got John 4, what, what we realize is this. What used to be a really big book now became a really short book because it's obvious from the words of Jesus Christ, somewhere between John 4 and John 17, the work got done. I mean, in John 4, he says, I want to finish that work. Hadn't done that yet. I want to be about that business. Now, it was very poignant that he did that with the disciples at that moment because you might recall they had gone into the city of Sychar and what they brought back was physical food. You know, they brought back a Happy Meal. This woman, this Samaritan woman who was an outcast, she leaves Jesus, and if you keep reading the story, she goes into the city of Sychar, and she didn't bring back a Happy Meal. She brought back the whole city of Sychar. These disciples, these followers of Jesus, these guys who've had the privilege of hanging out with him and having this close personal relationship, not for a long time, but for a little while, they go into the city of Sychar and they tell nobody about Jesus. Right? They were just in the same city and they didn't say anything to anybody. But this woman who's just met him, blown away by the, the privilege of meeting the Messiah, Man, she rushes into town and she brings back, in fact, Jesus goes on to say, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, they're white unto harvest. And many, many historians believe that, that what he was referring to was a very vivid physical picture of all the city of Sychar coming out because they were known to dress in white and, and they're coming out of that city, coming to meet the Messiah. And, and he says, you guys, man, you said there's four months and then comes the harvest. The harvest is ripe now. Quit delaying, quit wasting time. Now is the time of the harvest. He's, he's giving them a mild rebuke because they've not been about the Father's business. They've not been about the work of the Lord. And in these few short chapters between chapter 4, and again, just you could read that this afternoon. You could read that and finish before the service is over. We, we discover the work of the Lord. Something that, again, I think sometimes we treat to be very nebulous, very hard to grasp. Well, you know, really don't know what that is. Now, Jesus, knowing that people like me maybe would even struggle with that brief a reading, gives us some Cliff's notes here in the text. Right? You know what Cliff's notes are, right? It's a guy named Cliff who's went to every college class on earth. Uh, and he made some notes just to help you out, right? Except they take the, post, the, the apostrophe out when they write cliffs, and I, I, don't, I think you're going to fail a college exam if you don't have that in. Anyway, uh, I digress. 
I want us to, to just take this for a minute and, and see what the work of the Lord is. Because it's the work of the Lord that Jesus did that he said it was, it was by that that I glorified God. And if the purpose of my life is to glorify God, then, then I need to know what this work is. I, I, I need to, right? I need to be about that work. I, I, I need to be busy doing that. That needs to be the driving force to my life because that's what gives life meaning. That's what gives life purpose. It is about eternity. It's about glorifying God. And so let's, let's just take a minute and, and see what he says. That's verse 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have uh, finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. And, and then notice, he begins to talk about what the work was. He, he gives us this just quick outline. Verse 6, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. So he says that this work of the Lord that he's, that he's been doing involves manifesting the name of the Lord. Uh, and I would, I would call that to fit our study, and, and I don't think it's stretching it, evangelism. It's making God known. It's manifesting God. Uh, that's what Jesus did. He said, I have manifested you. I've, I've come and I've made you known. I, I've, I've manifested who you are. We sang a song just a moment ago. I believe. I believe in the name of Jesus. The name, it's the sum total of who he is. It's more than just, oh, Jesus. No, it's the sum total of who he is. It's all that is involved with who he is. And that's what Jesus says he did. He, he said, I've, I've manifested the name of God to these men. I, I've shown them. I, I didn't manifest it to everyone in the world. I manifested it to those that you gave me to manifest it to. And we're all the same way, right? I, I can't speak to every human on the planet. I can only speak to those that God brings into my path or that I get into their path. He leads me to them, and, and then I can talk to them. I have, as I have opportunity, I'm, I'm responsible for that opportunity to manifest God. And so I manifest him like we talked about a few weeks ago. Cody preached an excellent message talking about evangelism. I, I do that by, by the life that I live. So when they meet me, they're not meeting me, but they're meeting Christ because I'm dead. And he lives through me. And so as a, as a witness for him, I have a, a life that puts him on display. That, that's what the Bible tells us about Jesus. When he came, he's, he's the word. He's the word made flesh. He dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. In verse 18 of chapter 1 of John, it tells us that he declared him. He, he put him on display. He manifested him. So evangelism is this, again, sowing of seeds, the seeds of the gospel, the precious seeds that were born again by the word of God that results in salvation. It, re it results in a, a new birth, new life being born. Jesus said that's what he did when he was here. Hey, is it fair to say if that's what Jesus was doing, that's what we ought to be doing? If I'm going to call myself a Christian, then I ought to live as Christ lives. Right? That's how he, that's the work he was doing. So, so this idea of the work of the Lord, the work of the Lord is the work the Lord was doing when the Lord was working. Right, it's not complex, right? What's the work of the Lord? What's the work of Joe? Well, the work of Joe is the work Joe does. What's the work of the Lord? It's the work the Lord does. When he was here working. 
And, and he gave us that model to follow, and the first aspect of that is to, to manifest him. In fact, when the, when the angels come to Joseph, you know, he's a little concerned about marrying this girl, Mary, uh, because he knows that he hasn't physically had relations with her, and, and she's with child, and so he's concerned about that, and he's trying to figure it all out. And, and in Matthew chapter 1, an angel comes to him, and that angel assures him that it's okay because that which is conceived within her is of the Holy Ghost, and he says, you need to call his name Jesus. Why? He shall save his people from their sins. Jesus. Again, there's something about the name. It means Jehovah saves. There's salvation in Christ. And, and so when we're talking about glorifying God with our lives, when we say as a church, the first part of that is evangelism. I need to experience the gospel and, and, and receive the gospel, and then I need to express that gospel. We're not just making things up. It, it's a biblical way of living. It's, it's the way Jesus lived. It's what he did. It's how he glorified God. It's the work of the Lord. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice he goes on. Verse 6, I have manifested the name of the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. And they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. And, and, and Jesus, so he says that, that God has entrusted these people to him. He's talking about a divine entrustment that, that, that God has purpose. And what I want us to understand today is God has purpose for all of us. This is not exclusive to Jesus. This is true of every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ, as, as newborn, spirit-filled believers in Christ. The Spirit of God lives within us, and God has assignments for us. He has appointments for us. He, he has people that he wants to bring into our lives to entrust to us. And I would say this is that encouragement aspect where we make connections with people so that we can have nurturing relationships. Jesus built a nurturing relationship with those disciples. Like Barnabas, you know, he's, he's going through life and, and God brings the Apostle Paul along. He's Saul at that time. He, he's received Christ as his Savior and then Barnabas takes him. He, he takes responsibility for him. He, he takes ownership of him in the sense that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make his interest my interest. I'm going to be concerned about what happens to him. His spiritual development is going to become my responsibility. I'm interested. God, you've given me this person. I'm going to invest in them. That's encouragement. That's when I, I recognize that, that people matter. People are important to God. Relationships matter. People aren't disposable. Every individual is important to God. He desires a relationship with them. And, 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 and so his work that he wants to do through us, that he, he desires for us to finish, that, that will bring him glory, involves... The expression of the gospel that results in salvation. And it involves making connections with people that result in nurturing relationships. Where we take the, the interest of others on. And we become concerned with 
about them. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. Notice he goes on, verse number 8. And I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them and have known surely that I am come out from thee. And they have believed that thou didst send me. It's just the next step. We, we use the word edification. We'll talk about discipleship. But the next step in the work of the Lord, he, he, he manifested God. He, he takes this responsibility, makes these connections. He, he builds these relationships, these nurturing relationships. And now he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to capitalize on this relationship such that it results in spiritual development, spiritual maturity. I want to see them grow up. So I'm going to give them your words. He said, that's what I did, right? I mean, it's, he's breaking it down very simply for us to understand in a very, a very concrete way. What, what was before sort of nebulous and, and maybe hard to understand, now he's making it very simple and very concrete. The words we use aren't, aren't important. We, we've chosen these E's because we're Baptists and everything has to be alliterated. But the words aren't what matters. It's just a way to remember it. It's the work that matters. It's, it's walking through and understanding the process. Jesus didn't use those five words, but we can see very clearly from the text that's, that's what he's talking about doing. Evangelizing and encouraging and edifying and building them up and taking the words of God. And, and, and notice how he says it. I've given them your words i got to find where I'm at in my notes. And, and then he says, and they have received them. So, so what he's saying is, I gave them your words, Father, in such a way that they could receive them. I built a nurturing relationship with them in such a way that I understand where they're at. So that I could discern what their needs are. And then I took your words and I broke them down in such a way that they could receive them. It, again, it follows that same natural progression of a child. Peter says that, that a newborn babe desires the sincere milk of the word that they may grow thereby. Right? So a, a babe in Christ starts out with the word of God in, in milk form. And milk is already digested food <laughs> and, and that's what a baby needs right they, you, you don't bring a baby home from the hospital and put a spread out on the dinner table and sit them down in a chair and say have at it right you, you wouldn't if you do that get help quick your kid's not going to make it right you somebody breaks that food down and gets it in a form that that child can receive it so they can, they, they can be sustained so that they can grow and mature to the point where they can ultimately sit down at the table and have a meal. Not everyone can come into this room and receive what we're saying here. Some people need some help. That's called discipleship. And, and he said the result of them receiving it is that they... they they know, surely, that I've come from thee. They, they, they know that Jesus came from God. That Jesus, I believe 
right? And that, that's the next thing he says. They, they believe it. They, they put their faith there. They have believed that thou just sent me. They, they have an assurance of their relationship. They, they've grown and matured to the point that they know that they are secure. They know that they are saved. They know that their sins are forgiven. That, that's discipleship. It's the work of the Lord. It, it's evangelism. It's encouraging. It's, it's discipling. It's, it's edification. It's the process of, of building the Word of God. And if you were to follow through this text, we don't have time to do that this morning, but if you, if you read through John chapter 17 in the, in the preceding, or the, not the preceding, but the, the following verses, uh, you find that he, Jesus, in his prayer, walks through the, the importance of building the Word of God into the life of a believer. He, he says that it's the key to their belief. It's the key to, to knowing those things that we just sang about. It's the key to, to unity, that we're unified. Not, not around my opinions, not around the opinions of this church, not around even the opinions of the Baptist faith. You could find a million different things in the Baptist faith today. There's a lot of things that Baptists do that I totally disagree with. It's not about that. It's about this book. It's about God's words. That's where unity comes from. It's not, we are so divided as a people and as a nation, it's, it's terrible to see. But we're never going to find unity in the opinions of men. Let's come back to God. And, and that's what's happened to our nation. We kicked God out. And then when tragedy happens, we want to wonder what happened. Where was God? He was right where we asked him to be, out of our business. This is where unity is found, right? And that's, Jesus talks about that. He, he walks through this. He says, this is where joy is found. You want real joy in life? Joy is found in Christ. Joy is found in, in the, the assurance, having that settled assurance that, that God's in control. Again, I go back to the lesson that we had in, in small groups today and, and, and the circumstances of life. We don't get under those circumstances of life because I know Christ is in control. God is in control and I can endure these things because I know that. He says that, that our holiness, the, the, the holiness of God that he imputes to us and, and living that out in a practical way is is found in the words of God. It's, it's through the, the words of God. And so Jesus says this work of the Lord really is how you glorify God. And it follows this outline that we've been giving you. You can see it right there. It's evangelism. It's in, encouraging, building these nurturing relationships. And, and it's then, then capitalizing on those relationships, those nurturing relationships that, that would result in a person's spiritual maturity. But it doesn't end there. Because again, it's, it's not about just me. God isn't glorified when I bear fruit. God is glorified when I bear much fruit. And so there's to be this multiplying factor. So it needs to go farther than me. I, I, need, to, I need to come through this process in such a way that I am now capable to reproduce that in others and and that's what Jesus says I mean if you were to again all the things that I just mentioned this this belief in unity and joy and holiness is is in the the verses between verse 8 and and verse 18 so in those 10 verses you'd, you'd find that if you read through it I don't have time to do that today I want you to drop down to verse number 18 and see that there's more than just what Jesus poured into them and and he certainly poured into them right 
Uh, he gave them all these things. He, he made God known. He encouraged them. He, he put his words into them. But look at verse 18. And thou hast sent me, uh, excuse me, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And so there's this, this other aspect of it that goes beyond just me receiving, but it's kind of like we've talked about. When I go around that, that circle the first time, I'm the recipient, but when I go around the second time, and I need to go a second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh time, I'm the donor. I'm the contributor. It doesn't stop with me. Because God's work is about reproducing reproducers. And when we talk about equipping, that's what we're talking about is, is being prepared to go out into the world and reproduce reproducers. It's that preparation process. Jesus says, as, as the Father sent me, so send I you. That's in John 20. In Matthew, 7, or Matthew 28, we're familiar with the Great Commission. Go ye therefore, teach all nations. Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. It's if I'm going to glorify God with my life, if I'm going to do the work of the Lord, it involves this whole process. It, it involves first me receiving and, and being encouraged and being edified, but then me being equipped so that then I can share the gospel in a way that a person can receive it. So then I can make that connection so that we can have a nurturing relationship so that, so that then we can disciple them. But, but it doesn't end there. It, it needs to go beyond that. And, and we've broken it down into bite-sized chunks in our church. And so we would, you know, we were real creative with names. So we would call that first part, we have cost of discipleship, right? Where you go through and understand what the cost of discipleship is. But then you, you get into a one-on-one -on -one relationship and that's called discipleship one. Very creative name. But that's not the end of it, right? That, if we were to look, and we have done this, and, and I'll encourage you to remember back a year ago when we talked about 2 Peter chapter 1, there's seven things we're to add to our faith. Only three of those are intended to be added through discipleship 1. And so then there's, there's this carrying on of discipleship, not in a one-on-one -on -one scenario, but in a group setting. And we call that, very creatively, discipleship 2. Huh? Sometimes people say, I can't follow the system. Well, one, then two. Uh, but it's a very necessary part, right? Because we need to, to be equipped to teach others. To, to carry out that process in the lives of others. That's what Jesus did. Again, if we're looking at these Cliff's notes of, of what Jesus did, and I would say that if you go home today and you read from John chapter 4 through John chapter 17, what you're going to find is that's what Jesus was doing. That's how he was spending his time. He was investing in these disciples, doing the things that we've just mentioned. Last week we, we talked about that church at Corinth and, and how Paul is writing to them and, and he says, he begins, again, lots of issues there, lots of things they could have been ashamed about. And maybe we would even say should have been ashamed about. There, there was gross sin in the church at Corinth. Paul writes this letter and, and it's a scathing letter. But, but we saw in, in chapter 4, he says, I'm not writing these things to shame you. 
My, my goal isn't to put you down. My goal isn't to cause you shame. My goal is to warn you. He said, I, I, I want to warn you about how you live this life. It matters. It matters how you live. Because life is not about here and now. It's about there and then. It's not about my existence here on the earth. It's about my eternal existence. It's, a, it's about the glory of God. And Paul says, Church of Corinth, you, you've missed it. You're living for yourselves. You're, you're self-consumed. And, and you need to change your focus. And so he says, because this is so critical, I'm going to send to you. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, I'm going to send to you Timotheus and and I'm sending him because he's my beloved son. He's, he's faithful in the Lord. He shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. You remember Paul has admonished them. He said, be followers of me. That live like I live. And, and that kind of feels a little arrogant. It kind of feels like Paul's a little conceited. It kind of feels like Paul's putting himself on a pedestal. But that's not what he's doing. He's saying, he, he's, he's making a commitment. That's what he's doing. He's making this huge commitment to say, I'm going to live an exemplary life, one that you would do well to follow. And that is the commitment of a discipler. That's the commitment. It ought to be the commitment of every follower of Jesus Christ. That's the commitment of every parent in the room. We're saying to our children, watch me, follow me. And we should know that they do. So when I'm living this life, desiring to bring glory to God, doing the work of the Lord, it's, it's pouring into the life of a person. And, and Paul goes on and makes a little bit of a, a curious statement there in verse 17. He says, I, I want you to follow me, and, and because I want you to follow me, I'm sending Timothy. That feels a little strange, doesn't it? You want to say, well, that's weird, Paul. I thought you said we should follow you, not Timothy, but... He goes on and explains it. He says, you can follow Timothy because he's faithful in the Lord and, and he's going to bring you into remembrance of my ways as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul had a systematic approach to training people for the ministry. And, and we're going to get to in a minute who, who is all of this for, who's to do this work of the Lord, lest you, you feel like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not in the ministry, so I'm okay. We're going, to, we're going to answer the question of who's to do this in, in just a minute. But what I want you to see is, is there's this systematic approach of, of preparing people. And, and we saw last time we talked about 2 Timothy 2, 2. The, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall teach others also. And if you went back into chapter 1 of, of 2 Timothy, verse number 13, he would say the things that he heard were, were the sound words it's, it's the Word of God. And, and so Paul's not creating some new thing. He's not doing some, you know, the latest thing that was derived by the church gr group, you know, the, the gurus out there who, who know all about church growth strategies. He, he wasn't following the latest fad. And it's easy to get caught up following the latest fad. It's easy to get caught up looking around and thinking, wow, they're doing it that way. And man, that, that, that looks like that's working great. It's easy to get allured away from the simple truths of the Word of God. It, it's easy to get drawn away from doing the work of the Lord 
to do a work that we think is going to bring us success. We should be reminded we don't need some new thing. We might do well to get back to some old things. Just the simple truths of the Word of God. Jesus said he glorified the Father. And, and, and he laid out how he did it. And, and, and it's just through the simple process of investing in people who are going to go invest in people. It's reproducing reproducers. And, and when Paul talks about that to Timothy, you know, he says it, that, 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 that there's four generations here, right? There, there's Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, to faithful men to others also. And so there's this reproducing of spiritual life, reproducing reproducers. And, and, and my goal in, in ministering to someone is to, to do such a job that they could reproduce in another who could reproduce in another who could reproduce in another. Now, I want to answer this question that, that I'm sure is on our minds. Because a lot of times we think, oh yeah, well Joe, that's great for you. Sure, that's what you should be doing. You should be doing the work of the Lord. Who, who is it? That, that's what the work of the Lord is. I, I really believe those things that we've given you if, you, if you live your life doing those things, you will achieve the work of the Lord. I believe that. As your pastor, as the leader who's going to stand accountable to God for this church and for you, I believe if you'll live out those five things. You will have achieved the work of the Lord. You will be able to say, with the Lord Jesus Christ, with the Apostle Paul, I finished my course. I glorified the only earth. I, I believe that. That's for all of us, though. It, it, it's not just me and, and Rex and the staff, the deacons. The Oh, yeah, it's those small group leaders. They, too, they ought to get in on that. Let, let's just take a real quick minute. It's going to be a real quick minute. It's for every person who's a new creature in Christ. Paul, to the church at Corinth, same church, same jacked up mess. He writes to them, and, and, and we love this text, you know. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, but all things are become new, right? That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Hey, let's shout. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. So we were alienated from God, right? Reconciliation has the understanding of alienation. So we were, we were alienated. We were separated. We were born separated from God. But God reconciled us to himself by his son, Jesus Christ. But notice the latter part of that. And hath given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. So the idea is, have you been reconciled to God by Jesus Christ? Yes. If, if, if you answer yes then you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. It comes part and parcel. Right? They, they go together. You can't separate the two. Well, what is that? What is that ministry of reconciliation? Oh, I'm glad you asked. To wit, verse 19, to witness that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So what is this, what is this ministry of reconciliation? Oh, it's to be a witness that God was in Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ is actually God. It's what that Samaritan woman did when she went back to the city of Sychar. Oh my goodness, I met God. Come with me. Come with me. Come with me. You've got to see him. That's where it starts, but not where it ends, right? That he reconciled the world unto himself. You too can be reconciled. Come with me. That he, he, good news. He's not imputing your sins to you. He's not going to charge you for your sins. He's offering, get this, the forgiveness of sins. 
and listen to me. I'm not, I'm not trying to be hard at us. But if I told you just then that you're all getting a new car like Oprah, this place would have fell apart if you believed it. <laughs> you probably wouldn't believe it, and I wouldn't blame you. I'm going to tell you, it's a much bigger deal to have your sins not imputed to you. Much bigger deal. But notice it didn't end there, right? That's not where this, that's not where this, this minister of reconciliation ends. Notice, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So, so it doesn't end with me just leading someone to Christ. But the work of reconciliation goes all the way through to me helping them understand that, that now they've had committed to them the work of reconciliation. So I've, I've got to not only tell them about Jesus and be done. No, I've got to build a nurturing relationship with them through which I can disciple them. And they come to spiritual maturity and then I can equip them so that then they can go tell others. Right? That's for every person who's been reconciled. Let's look at one more. It's back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, I show you a mystery. We quote this. We quoted it Wednesday night during a song. We got excited. I hope we stay excited. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is something to be excited about. It's a mystery. It's something that previously was unknown, but now has been revealed. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, is pulling back the curtain, and he's saying, look at this incredible mystery. I know you didn't understand this before, but I want you to know not everybody's going to die. Some people are going to be raptured. Some people are going to be caught away. Jesus Christ, one day, one day soon, is going to step out on a cloud and he's going to say, come up hither. <laughs> the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. So shall we ever be with the Lord. What a wonderful truth that is, amen? That's a great truth. It's a great truth that death has lost its sting. It has no victory over me because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. I'm not trying to steal from us the, the joy and the thrill that comes with the reality of that truth. But I do want us to recognize it's more, it's more than just something to make me happy. It's more than just something that, that would cause me to, to shout with my mouth. Because he says in verse 58, therefore, in light of this truth, in light of that reality, in light of the resurrection... My beloved brethren, Paul says, I love you. I don't write not to shame you. I'm, I'm writing to warn you. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in what? The work of the Lord. So here's the thing. Who, who ought to be involved? Who ought to be involved in the work of the Lord? Everybody who's been reconciled. And everybody who plans to be a part of the resurrection. You plan to be part of the resurrection? Then, then it's yours. The work of the Lord is ours. It's up to us. That's who. What is those five E's, really? 
Who is all of us, every person who's been redeemed? If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ today, you're off the hook for that part of it. But you do need to understand that your eternal destiny is dependent upon your faith in Christ. I'd encourage you to come to Christ today. Every person who plans to be part of the resurrection, it's our responsibility. And and one last thing is how. Real simple message. What, who, how. Look what he says. Be steadfast. Just be steady about it. There's a lot of us. We get excited and emotional and we're going to run for God. And while the enthusiasm is admirable, the endurance is doubtful. You can't do it on emotion. It's based on truth. Be steadfast. You know, it takes some time to grow up spiritually. There are no shortcuts. It's hard work. It's a fight. We saw that this morning in the Bible study lesson. But it's a good fight. It's a good fight to have. It's worth it. Be steadfast. Stick to it if this. Stay with it. That's the next word he used. Unmovable. Unmovable. Jesus is coming. This life is going to end. This world is going to burn. None of it's going to matter. Don't let anything move you away from the work of the Lord. Don't don't let some shiny new thing allure you aside to say, oh, let's go do that now. Don't let some offense drive you away from doing the work of the Lord. We're so easily offended. Nobody spoke to me. I ain't going back to that church. Come on. We ought to speak. We ought to be speaking. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not discounting that. But man, it's the work of the Lord. It's so much bigger. Be unmovable, steadfast, unmovable. Always. It, 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 it's not a, a three-hour thing a week. It's a 168-hour thing a week. And I've heard people say, well, you know, I, 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 I got to quit my job because it, it, it inhibits my ministry. Maybe your job could be your ministry. There's a thought. I used to know a lot of lost people before I went in the ministry. Now I only know a few. Some of you all get that. Maybe I should say it this way. I used to work with a lot of lost people when I was, before I went in the ministry. Now I only work with a few. <laughs> you got that one. Right, it's always, it's 24-7, 365. It, it's, not a, it's not an aspect of my life, it is my life. And that's not because I'm in the ministry, it's because I'm in, I'm in Christ. I'm born again. Abounding, it's, it's about bearing fruit. And he says, you know that your labor, it's work. Don't expect it to be easy. It's hard. 
Amen? Ministry is tough. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. I love the last part. Because you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. There's a lot of things we can do in this life that are in vain. Your labor for the Lord is not. You know why? He's coming. Hear me today, he's coming. It could be today, I pray it is. I would love nothing more than to hear the trumpet, to see him split those eastern skies, to hear him say, come up hither. Come join me. When that moment happens, very little about this physical life is going to matter. What's going to be important in that moment is the work of the Lord. It's the glory of God. All of us can and should participate in it. We all have a role to play. We can all be a part. I think what we've laid out for you is a very simple process. It's not easy, but it's a simple process by which you can get involved. And I believe I can say with assurance, if we do it for the glory of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we will glorify God with our lives. And we can come to the end of our lives and say, Father, I glorified you on the earth. I finished the work that you gave me to do. We can come to the end of our lives and the Apostle Paul say, I finished my course. I did what you put me here to do. We can be as confident and as bold as he was when he said, the time of my departure is at hand. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Amen? Let's be about that business. Father, we love you today. We want to please you with our lives. We want to serve you in a way that's pleasing. Father, we want to bring glory to you. We, we recognize that you have afforded us an incredible opportunity. You've reconciled us to yourself by your son, Jesus Christ. You gave us this incredible free gift of salvation. Father, you, for many of us, if not most, have brought someone alongside us who, who took our, our spiritual development personal, who encouraged us and admonished us and, and built a nurturing relationship with us and discipled us and taught us your words. And, and Father, they've, they've sent us out to, to reach others. And God, I just pray that today you'd help us to be a church that would be about finishing your work, a church that would be about your glory, a church that would be about reproducing reproducers, that would be focused not on ourselves but on you, not on temporal things but eternal things, a church that would live each and every moment of each and every day to maximize your glory. Father, I pray for those here today who've never even come to know you. They're, they're not born again. I pray you draw them to yourself today. Father, for others that are somewhere along that continuum, maybe they've stalled out, maybe they've got hung up, maybe they've gotten offended or discouraged. 
God, I pray that you would encourage them today and strengthen them today and, and bring them back into this process of spiritual development that their lives could be put back on track to maximize your glory. I pray in Christ's name. Would you stand with me, please? As I prayed, we're going to be gathered here. We have altar workers that are here. If you don't know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. We'd love to help you today. If you'd just come, one of these will meet you. They'll, they'll pair you up with someone who'll take you to the privacy of a prayer room and show you how you could know for sure if you died, heaven would be your home. Maybe today as a believer, you realize today you've gotten hung up somewhere in the process of spiritual development. And you want to get unhung today. You want to get back on track. Would you let God do that today? Maybe you've gotten discouraged, defeated, offended. Whatever the case may be. Let God meet you where you're at and take you to that next level. You come while we sing. Let God do in your life what he wants to do. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own life that we've been given it's not it's not the easiest it's the only life there is in a biblical definition separation from God is death reconciliation with God is life death in the Bible is never annihilation it's always separation I want to walk with him. I want to walk in fellowship with him. I, I want him to be my life. And I know you do too. There's just so many things that war against us. There's so many things that want to distract us from that. And that's the reason that we're as, as a group of pastors who love you and care for you, want to lay out for you the simplest of processes. That it can be clear, that, that we can write the vision, it can be plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. That I can look and see where I'm at in this process and clearly understand what the next step is to take. We may not have fully achieved that yet, but my commitment to you is that we're going to continue to work toward achieving that so that everybody who walks through our doors can see, wow, God has a plan. God has a process. He didn't just leave me here with some nebulous thing to try to figure out. He's given to me a clear-cut plan. I can figure out where I'm at in that, and I can take the next steps toward honoring and glorifying God with my life. That's our goal. I hope you'll go with us on that journey. We said at the beginning of the year, our, our 